If you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts, the second chapter, I want to read some selected portions of Scripture from Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And I want to ask the question this morning, are you saving yourself? Are you saving yourself? Because that's the question that Peter asks in the conclusion of this sermon. Now, as you turn there to Acts 2, I want to give you just a little bit of background. Of course, this is after Jesus has ascended back to heaven. And this is the day of Pentecost. This is, as many of the old preachers have put it, this is when the, sh- the gospel ship is setting sail. It's kind of been sitting in the harbor, waiting for the Holy Spirit to fill the sails and send it out to sea. And so what you have here is the inaugural message of the gospel ship, of the gospel age. As Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Ghost has come and filled them, and remember there's 17 or 18 different nationalities, different languages there on, on this day, and the miracle of it is they're all hearing Peter preach in their language. Okay? So it's a miracle. It's Tower of Babel in reverse. Tower of Babel, God confused the languages, and nobody could understand anything that each other was saying. And this is Tower of Babel in reverse, where everybody in their own individual language and ethnicity, they were hearing their language spoken. It's a miracle. And this, by the way, this continued to follow the New Testament church for a period of time, at least during the apostles' lifetime. And possibly in the lifetime of some of the ones who the apostle apostles actually touched physically that had that gift. But that gift is around no more today. It's the speaking of different languages. When I've gone to Africa, the many times that I've gone, I've had to have an interpreter. See, if, if, if that gift was still around where, where people of different languages could understand a man speaking in his own language and they, he, they hear it in their language, that's the gift of the Holy Ghost to spread the word of God in a very fast way. And so that's what Peter's doing as he stands up here. Don't miss that. It's a miracle. Preaching is a miracle in general. But this is a super miracle because 18 different nationalities, maybe 19, are hearing their language spoken. And of course there is friction. Okay, Thousands of people are gathered here. This is the day of Pentecost. This is a high day. This is a holiday. This is a festival day. And there's thousands of people in Jerusalem. Many people that are gathered here are the very ones that stood in the crowd and cried out, crucify him about 50 days before, okay? So if that sets the background good enough, let's consider what Peter says as he stands up and preaches this inaugural message. Now, the reason I emphasize that is because if he preached this in the inaugural message, we should still be preaching this today. (laughs) And the question is, are you saving yourself? In In the context and in the sense of what Peter teaches these children of God. So let's catch in in verse 21 which is a quote from the book of Joel, which is also repeated in the book of Romans, the 10th chapter, one of the most well-known verses in the world, aside from John 3.16 and Romans 8.28. In Acts 2 and 21, Peter says, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay? So I'm setting that, I'm starting there, because I want you to understand the focus of Peter's message here is that subject. Are you saved? Are you saving yourself? Let's read on. He says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. In that context, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken. You can see him, Peter, pointing his finger at the crowd. Ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. You ever been accused of something? And especially you ever been accused of something when you knew you did it and you were guilty? That, that creeping feeling that comes over you and you think, oh, I'm, it, you know, it's all up. I'm caught. That's what these people, these children of God, the born again children of God are feeling that. The ones that are not born again are not feeling that. He says, you have crucified and slain him whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should behold another. Now watch, he goes back to David, which was one of their supernational heroes. For David speaketh concerning Jesus. I foresaw the Lord Jesus always before my face, for he, Jesus, is on my right hand that I should not be moved. David lived a thousand years before. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Notice the effect of seeing Jesus. David said, my heart rejoiced, my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, the grave. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one, Jesus, to see corruption in the grave. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Listen how pleasing these words were. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. You understand the point Peter's trying to get across there? That ought to be the effect of the message. That ought to be the effect to the child of God. To have joy. The ways of, that he's preaching, the ways of life lead to fullness of joy. Men and brethren, verse 29, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher or grave is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, this is a reference to 2 Samuel 7, by the way, that of the fruit of his loins, of the flesh, according to the flesh, he would raise up Jesus Christ to sit on the throne of David. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection. I don't want to run off on a tangent here, but it's very important to point out that the first message in the gospel ship setting sail emphasized that Jesus Christ is sitting on the throne of David. There is a kingdom here and now. The only problem is the Jewish folks, like many of God's children today, think that that throne is a throne on earth. That throne is the throne in heaven, child of God. He ascended to heaven and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. You see, I don't want to get off on that tangent. Maybe a sermon for another day. But the kingdom, Peter says, when Jesus was resurrected and went back to heaven, he ascended the throne of David. And therefore, 2 Samuel 7 was fulfilled where God told David a man would sit on the throne forever. That man is Jesus Christ. That is so simple. It'd take a theologian to help you mix that up. (laughs) Now, Okay, this Jesus has God raised up, where we are all sinners. Verse 31, he's seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, Sheol, or the grave, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. He's telling them, You're getting the promise that Jesus spoke of, of the Holy Ghost coming in a special way. And all these different nationalities and ethnicities are hearing what I'm saying in their language. Because that is the promise of the Holy Ghost. That was one part of the promise. He says, for David is not ascended into the heavens. 
You see, he wants to make it clear. We're not talking about David. We're talking about the super David, Jesus. But he saith himself, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now watch verse 36. And here we're coming to it. Hang in there. I'm intentionally reading all this to you because I don't know that I've ever read most of that sermon in a, in a message before. And I think it's important to get the point of what Peter is saying. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath, raised, hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified. He just had to stick that little jab back in there, didn't he? You say, I don't like it when he puts a jab in there. You know, sometimes we need a little jab. <laughs> sometimes we need to be stirred up a little bit. But he says, he has made Jesus whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They have just been caught red-handed. They have been accused of murdering and crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are pricked in the heart. The word pricked right there, it means to pierce thoroughly. It means to be agitated. It would be, we might say, to cut to the quick. Y'all ever been clipping your fingernails and you got distracted maybe and you cut a little too deep? Oh, that's, that's what that means. Cut to the quick. If you're cut to the quick, it means you have to be alive. You understand that? That's so important to understand. There were not people there who were dead in sins, not born again, quick, uh, cut to the quick. You see, there were people there that were born again, children of God, already touched by the spirit of God, already tendered in their heart by the grace of God, by the sovereign act of God, who thought they were going on their way to heaven because they were keeping Moses law. And lo and behold, they find out from the preacher that it's not you on your way to heaven. It's Christ already in heaven. <laughs> and they were pricked to the heart. They were they were uh, stung to the quick. And they said, what shall we do? Oh, for that response from God's born again children. You understand, it's very important that we see that Peter was not trying to get people to be born again. It would be like me saying uh, to this sweet little grandbaby that we're fixing to have, uh, the little fellow, Madison, she'll be delivering and within a couple weeks, I believe, maybe sooner, maybe a little later. But if I just, y'all would think I was crazy if I got down close to where he is and her tummy and I said okay buddy born yourself now come on out born yourself y'all say he's lost his mind and yet preachers stand in the pulpit day after day week after week and say okay people of God get willing born yourself again get right with the Lord that is just as insane of me saying to a baby come on out it's, it's time for you to flip the switch and come on That's, that doesn't work in nature and it doesn't work in the spiritual realm you see, Peter is preaching to the born-again child of God. He's not asking him to get willing. He's not asking him to get right. He's not asking him to accept Christ. He's telling them, if you feel convicted in your heart because of what I have just told you, you're already born again. And they said, what do we do? And here it comes. Saving yourself. You see, these people understand the point. These born-again children of God are already saved eternally. They're already born again. They're on the way to heaven. But they feel a compunction. They feel compelled in hearing the, the preaching of the gospel to do something. And I want you to notice what Peter says. Let's read verse 37 again. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were cut to the quick. And said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Accept Christ as your personal Savior and you'll be on your way to heaven. 
Is that what he said? He said, if you'll just believe and get right with the Lord and find that belief within you, then you can go to heaven. That's not at all what he says. And by the way, that's not what Jesus said to the rich young ruler. (laughs) And that's not what Jesus said to those dead, wicked Pharisees who hated him. He never once said to them, you need to get right with the Lord. He knew they couldn't get right with the Lord until the Lord gets right with them. You see? Now the purpose of this is for us to understand that there are, without question, different contexts of the word save or saved in the Scripture. Every time you read the word salvation or saved, it does not always entail eternal salvation. What you have right here has nothing to do with getting to heaven. It has to do with convicted children of God in the here and now, in the nasty now and now, what they should be doing in in response to the fact that God has got them on the way to the sweet by and by. You know, the opposite of the sweet by and by one day is the nasty now and now. I've used that for years. So what do we do now? What do you do? What do I do? How do I save myself? If you've ever looked into the gospel mirror and you have seen that you are the one that holds the nails that were nailed into his feet and into his hands. If you've ever heard the gospel message and see that it it was your sins that held them there on the cross, it should not make us say, okay, well, that's okay. Everything's fine. Thank goodness. No, it should make us say, what do I do? How can I repay the Lord? How can I pay him back for what he's done for me? That's the purpose of the preaching of the gospel. (laughs) And I'll tell you what, child of God, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 and 16 described it as dynamite. That's the the word power is the Greek word dunamis, which comes, which we get our word dynamite from. And when you see what you have done, what your sins have done to the Lord, and, and you say, Lord, what shall I do? What can I do? It's like dynamite blowing up your life. I tell you, it's blown up my life. But here's the great thing. It doesn't just blow it up one time. It blows it up again and again and again and again because you keep coming back to it and it keeps looking more glorious. Like Brother Harold Hunt said in his letter, he's got more friends on the other side than he has over here. And I'm going to tell you, the older you get and the more friends you get on the other side, the more glorious it seems to go and see them. You see? That's dynamite. That blows up your life. It puts it in perspective. It makes your life in the way of life full of joy. Peter said, repent. He said, repent. Change your mind. God's changed your heart. You change your mind. Does that make sense? <laughs> he says, repent. And uh, he said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the remission of sins. Now, don't let that trip you up right there. That is not saying you be baptized and do this in order to get the remission of sins. No, it's just like, it's just like Jesus told the leper that he healed. You remember Jesus healed the leper? And he said, now go show yourself to the priest for your cleansing. But you say, well, wait a minute. He was already cleansed. He was telling him to go and demonstrate that you've already been cleansed. So he says, repent and be baptized. Because Christ has remitted your sins. Demonstrate in your life that you believe that Christ has remitted your sins. You see that? He's not telling them to get right and become a child of God. There's nobody, there, there's no dead alien sinner. There's no sinner who's dead in their sins that even cares about God. You see? These people cared about God. We have offended God. What can I do? Peter says it's real simple. And it's simple for you and me today. Repent and be baptized. And notice here he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I know the demonstration of the gift of the Holy Ghost in those days would have been 
It could have been uh, like it was with the apostles. It could have been you know, the gift of speaking in tongues. It could have been the uh, languages. It could have been uh, the gift of healing. All those many manifest ways that the Lord was moving the gospel ship out to sea, to sail through the, times, uh, the, the sea of time of this world. But I don't want you to miss this and say, oh, that's just something we missed. No, the gift of the Holy Ghost is still here. <laughs> You're born again by the Holy Ghost when the Lord touches your heart. That might happen like John the Baptist when, when he was in the womb. It might happen like Jeremiah when he was in the womb of his mother. It might happen like a thief on the cross who was about to die and the Lord born him again minutes before he died. It might happen like Paul who was in the prime of his life going on the road to kill Christians. God's not bound in the way that He borns again people. He's not limited to the preaching of the gospel to born again people. See? So you can be born again in different circumstances, but it's the same Spirit and it's the same way. But that's not the end of it. I tell people all the time when they join the church, it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning of your walk of discipleship. And the earnest of the Spirit, the promise ring of the Spirit of God, according to Ephesians, the first chapter, the promise ring that God continues to confirm within you through the preaching of the gospel, through serving God, through fellowshipping with the saints of God, through doing all the things that we do with one another and for one another as we go along the journey of life, that promise ring just gets more shined and more beautiful as we go along. You know, you could tarnish that ring, you know? I I don't mean you could injure the Holy Spirit. I don't mean that. But you can quench the Spirit. You can cover over the beautiful promise ring of God, the actual... Proof that God is coming to get you with sin and with distraction and with false doctrine. So many things can can just cover over the promise ring of God. But child of grace, don't you forget that God will never take his promise ring away from you. (laughs) No matter how tarnished it may get or no matter how uh, we may let it get covered up. It's still there. And that promise is still to you in repenting and being baptized and following the Lord. You see? He says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. That was in the first message of the first sermon in the gospel age when the ship began to set sail. Save yourself. And I repeat that message today almost 2,000 years later. Child of grace, are you saving yourself? God, as Peter has already demonstrated, God's already saved you to heaven. These people that were convicted, that, were, that were, had this compunction in their heart, that it, they had this quickened heart, that it stung when they heard they had crucified the Lord. I tell you what, we still need to be preaching that message today. Are you saved? God saved you for heaven forever. Forever and ever, amen. But are you saving yourself? That's what Peter is preaching to them. And watch this verse 41. They that gladly received His Word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wouldn't we love to see a day of Pentecost like that? Uh, I think, you know, looking back through the years, I can think maybe in, in one month, maybe 12 or 15 dear ones you know, came home to join the church and became a part of the Lord's church and, and could, started walking in discipleship. Can you imagine 3,000? We, we wouldn't know what to do with all those people, would we? I mean, the first thing we'd think, oh, goodness, you know, we've got to get organized here. You know, we've got to form some subcommittees and committees and all this type of stuff and break out. I mean, it, I would probably just go jump off a cliff if, if, if somebody said, you've got to pastor 3,000 people. <laughs> it's hard enough to, to pastor 120 or 150 or 200. I wouldn't jump off a cliff. I'm just kidding. Don't report me that I need to be, receive psychiatric treatment, although I probably do. But understand, 
3,000 people. Now remember, they had a lot of preachers there. If you figure the 11 apostles at that point, if you break that out to the number of people that they would have been ministering to, you know, no question they handled things and broke things out. And, and, and this was a kind of a one-time deal here in Jerusalem. Everybody was gathered here and the church eventually kind of blossoms to about 20,000 people. You think 3,000 is a lot. You know, there was only 120 after Jesus ascended back to heaven. Now they got 3,120. Uh, later, you'll see a 5,000 are added to the church. You wind up to about 20,000. And by the way, this is the first place that you ever have any indication whatsoever of any kind of mega church. <laughs> about 20,000 people. And the, this first, you say, well, that's our model. No, it's not our model. Because this was a one-time thing that occurred to begin to send out the gospel ship. And eventually through persecution... All these people went back to their hometowns, you see. So 100 went back here, 50 went back here, 30 went back here, four or 500 went back here. And they started these smaller churches in all of their little hometowns. That's where you get Ephesus. That's where you get Thessalonica. That's where you get the uh, Philippians, uh, uh, Philippi, the different places that you see. You get Athens, you get Corinth, you get all these places because the people spread out. And of course... There were many people in those areas that they went and they evangelized and they preached to and churches were started. Just don't think, well, that's what God expects us to do. See, God expects us to spread the truth and share the truth in any possible format that we can. And so these people were convicted and they gladly received the word. I've said many, many times, I've never argued anybody into seeing the truth. I'll tell you one thing, though, I've loved a lot of people into it. You hear me? Say, well, they don't agree with you. Just keep loving them. Keep treating them kindly and with love and humility. I've loved some people into the truth. I don't necessarily agree with you, Brother Tim, but but I sure see the spirit that that goes on over there, uh, the spirit of fellowship and friendship and kindness that goes on over there at Bethlehem. And I see what you demonstrate. And I tell you, you you'll never argue anybody into the truth, but you may love them into it. And I encourage you, church, keep loving God's people when they come here. That's, that is our tool. That is our weapon. That is our weapon is to be friendly and to be kind and to be humble and love and serve one another. That's a weapon in the kingdom of God. Don't grow weary in that. You start fussing and fighting and yagging and, you know, this happened and that happened. I tell you, it's so easy to get distracted, isn't it? So easy. Just come back to covering over the sins of the people around you. We get so distracted so easy. They continued. It says there were 3,000 souls added to the church in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now here's the question. They said, they asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, if you're convicted, if the Holy Spirit's in your heart, repent. God's got your heart, change your mind and be baptized. They gladly received that. They repented, they were baptized and they needed to continue to save themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Oh, they baptized us all over with, everything's done. No, a thousand times no. They needed to continue to do what Peter said. Save yourself from this untoward or crooked generation. Save yourself. What did they do? We know they repented and they were baptized. That's just the very initial step, you see? And it says that they that gladly received the word continued steadfastly in some things. And this is where I call upon us. I call upon me. I call upon us to examine ourselves. Are we saving ourselves? 
It says that they continued steadfastly in four things. Four things. Isn't it great that God keeps the function of the church, the functionality and the things that we do? Isn't it great that He keeps it simple? I need it simple. I need it simple. He says they continued in four things. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. They continued in fellowship. They continued in breaking of bread, which obviously includes communion, but it also is more than communion, and in, in prayers. Peter, Peter told them to save themselves. And this is what they did. This is how they saved themselves from the untoward generation. They continued. I want you to notice the, the order in which they said, and it's not necessarily where you have to go in this order, but I want you to notice the Holy Spirit inspired the writer here to put this first. They continued in the apostles' doctrine. Child of grace, the most important, it's hard to say this, but I believe that the most important characteristic of the church of God is the belief system or the teaching or the doctrine of the church of God. Because when we leave the teaching and the doctrine of the church of God, it ceases to look and function like the church of God. You say, well, that just can't be, Brother Tim. Let me just give you a little example. Back in the 1800s, uh, when there was, there was no such thing as a missionary Baptist or a Southern Baptist or a free will Baptist or a primitive Baptist, it was just Baptist. Okay, this is a historical record. I, I'm not making this up. You can go check this out for yourself. I've researched it. History is a favorite of mine. Researched it for many years. Okay, so back in, the, back in the 1800s when you just had Baptists, okay, some new ideas came into the function of the church. It was not new doctrine. Are you listening? It was not new doctrine. It was new ideas of new functions. Like, let's add this to our worship. Let's add this to our service. Let's add this to it. These things that were added to the church were functions and, and activities that had never been in the church for what, uh, you know, 1,800 years. Christ never said, do this. Christ never said, add this. Christ gives the example of what the church function is all about. And here we have it reaffirmed. <laughs> they continue in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and fellowship and prayer. But in the 1800s, whenever new activities were added to the church, and, and there's many of you sitting there right now that are thinking, yeah, I can think of about 30 or 40 activities or 10 or 15 activities. Or, you know, I've joked and told you before, I, I know a, a, a dear, dear brother who told me one time that he was on the committee to form committees. <laughs> I thought, Lord help. <laughs> you got to have a committee to form committees. You kind of lost sight of what the purpose is. Okay? Yeah, let me just say this side note. Y'all don't ever forget that this building right here was built. It was my intention to never form a committee to build it, and we didn't. <laughs> So it's proof that you don't have to kick up and fuss and fight, that you can do something major like you're sitting in here today and never form a committee. I didn't tell anybody that when we started out, but when it was all said and done, I crowed it a little bit. <laughs> Y'all realize we just built this church building and never formed one committee. The smallest one voted on the color of the paint and the, and the, and the type of carpet or whatever to the oldest. I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably a little too proud of that. I'm sounding a little prideful, aren't I? <laughs> But I'm very happy and very pleased that we can say you didn't have to have a committee to do this beautiful structure that you worship in here today. So activities were added. And there was a group of Baptists that said, we don't want to add activities. We don't want to. The doctrine was the same. Okay, fast forward 150, almost 200 years. Fast forward about 200 years. 
when they started adding activities, the doctrine was the same. But as they continued to add activities, the doctrine has been left behind. The teaching has been left behind. Look, we don't say that to cast stones. With all that's within me, I don't feel mean-spirited. I've got a smile on my face. I don't feel mean-spirited. But you need to know that when you add activities, when you add things to the church of God, it will take you away from the doctrine of God. So just go with the activity that God describes right here by the Holy Spirit. This is all we need. We must have the apostles' doctrine. We must have fellowship. We must have the breaking of bread, communion, and other times of breaking bread, and prayer. We must, that's the function of the church. And these people continued in that so happily. They were so happy in continuing in that. To, to continue steadfastly means to give a constant attention to. People will say, well, you know, that's just really for the preacher to give attention to stuff, you know, spiritual things. You know, I've got my life to live. I've, you know, I've got these things to do. Nothing can be further from the truth. If it's just the preacher giving attention to those things, woe to the church. It's you, child of grace, to set as the North Star Hitch your wagon to the star of Jesse and set your, your, your goal, your direction to the North Star, to God Himself, Christ Himself, the church of God, which I've been preaching for weeks. That's the place of connectivity with God. It's the, it is the Holy of Holies. Y'all realize that? You know, that occurred to me as I was studying it after I'd preached and I wish I'd said that. But the church of God, if you read the book of Hebrews, it is the Holy of Holies where we enter into and we fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ Himself who was the Lamb that was laid upon the altar. You see? Don't just leave it to the preacher to set that as his North Star. You better expect your preacher to do that. That's one thing for sure. You better pray for your preacher that he continues to do that. But you must set as your North Star, as the sun of your universe, the S-O-N, and just orbit around that sun. Oh, that's a beautiful life, child of grace. That's a way of life. And there's joy and fullness in it. And if you could see it, to follow the Lord and to orbit around the Son of God makes your life so beautiful. And whenever you fail to do that, as I often do, it just brings trouble. (laughs) You see, this is how they save themselves. They repented, they were baptized, and they continued in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, of prayer and fellowship. That's what it looks like. Now, I'm winding up my thoughts for the day because I have, I hope I've opened a door here where I, Lord willing, intend to continue to preach to you about those activities, about continuing in the apostles' doctrine and exactly what that doctrine is. Because you can be clear as a bell. I've already touched on some of it this morning that the doctrine of God is you don't, you don't work up a belief within you to get born again. No, God borns you again and then you have belief within you. See, just like a baby doesn't command itself to be born into the world, but it cries after it's born into the world. See, that's the doctrine of God. If we get that backwards, then we lose the focus of the glory of God. Because God deserves all the glory for your salvation and for my salvation. So I want to show you in closing, a favorite church of mine in the Word of God, as y'all know this, y'all probably heard me say it many times, is the church at Ephesus. If you'll just do a study on the church at Ephesus, it occurs all throughout the book of Acts and obviously the book of Ephesians, the book of Revelation. You know, the church at Ephesus is an amazing church. And Acts, the 19th chapter, as we close, I want you to think about this picture 
I want you to see what, what it looks like these people were doing in order to orbit around the Son of God. What some things that they had to sacrifice and do. You know, there's just it's just no way around it. You gotta give up some things, you gotta lay down some things in order for you to be able to do these things, right? It doesn't mean that you've got to go live in a monastery. We don't believe in monasticism, we don't believe in that. It means that you just make some adjustments in your life so that the orbit is going around the Son of God instead of the many, many, many things that will distract us. Okay, Acts 19. In verse 18, it says, Many that believed came and confessed. Sounds very similar to Acts 2, doesn't it? And showed their deeds. That either means they confessed I was wrong, or they said, look, you know, we're trying to serve the Lord and do this or do that. Now watch verse 19. This is Ephesus, by the way. I, I, felt it, I, I meant to emphasize that. This is the city of Ephesus from which the book of Ephesians is written to by Paul. And Paul spent three years here with these guys. And also, you read about them in the book of Revelation. They're one of the seven churches that is named. The first one, by the way. And he says, Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Silver So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I want you to think about this. Unless something goes, unless some activity goes, in some way, form, or fashion or another, to some degree, there's no room in your life for continuing in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Okay, It's like a rule of exclusion. So if you engage in the apostles' continuing in the apostles' doctrine, breaking bread, fellowship, and prayers, you're going to necessarily exclude some things from your life maybe that you've been doing or some activities. It doesn't mean that you never enjoy a football game again. It doesn't mean that you never enjoy some form of entertainment, but it means that if you put the Son of God as the center of your universe and begin to orbit around Him, then some other things just necessarily kind of just fade out of the picture. Are y'all with me? So these people here in Ephesus, which is one of my favorite churches in the New Testament, these people in Ephesus, they cut some things out of their life to free up the time and the ability to orbit around the Son of God and the church of God. Does that make sense? It's a rule of exclusion. Uh, You can't do this and continue to do that. (laughs) Uh, This is a real side note, but y'all know my history, and I I know Sister Tracy gets tired of me telling about my history, but it's my history, and I'll be happy to share yours if you want to share yours, and I'll use your history. (laughs) I don't hear any volunteers, though, but (laughs) music consumed my life. I cannot emphasize that. It was a God to me. Writing songs every day, uh, trying to keep little snippets around the house, you know, I've told you this before, but Sister Tracy would throw away these little snippets of notes laying around the house and on the refrigerator, and I'd be like, no, no, that, that was probably my number one hit. <laughs> Y'all don't understand. Y'all say, oh, Brother Tim, you got through that. Y'all don't understand how it had a hold on me. <laughs> I mean, it had a hold on me bigger than the devil holding on to me and guiding my thoughts from my son, of which my universe orbited around, was that, was music. And I'll never forget when God convicted me of that. There was no question it had to go in some form or another. I still sit around and play music. I love playing my new 12 string. Praise God. Happy birthday, Brother Tim. Amen. I love it. I love it. One of the best birthday presents I've ever had. I played every song just about I've ever known on that thing because it sounds different on a 12 string. I still love music. I still play music, but it's not my God. You understand that? It was so bad for me that I had to get rid of all my cowboy hats and I had to for about a five-year period of time, I had to get rid of all my boots. That was hard for me to do. I'm, I'm a country boy. 
Not a redneck. I'm a country boy. <laughs> Grew up on the farm. Always had a pair of boots. But to, to divest that from me, I had to just get it away from me. And for about five years, I didn't have a pair of boots. I felt like I was walking around with my feet naked, you know. <laughs> I, don't have, I would go to the closet. I think, I'm going to get my boots. No, I forgot. I got rid of them. That's years ago. I find, I'll have boots now. But for me, for me, I had to burn that. I didn't literally burn it. But you understand, these people came, they divested themselves of some things so that they could better see the Son of God is to be the center of my universe in the orbit in which I'm going around and around. Maybe you feel like you're going around in circles, child of God. Maybe you can't feel like you just can't quite get it right. I tell you, child of grace, there may be something you need to divest yourself from in this life and let the Son of God be the Son of your universe which ties directly to the church of God and what you are doing with your activity, continuing in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and a prayer. This is really going to get snarky. I checked what the top ten is from week to week on Netflix. We said, Brother Tim, you're fixing to really get personal here. Yes, I am. A week and a half ago, it's probably changed by now. This was the top five on Netflix of what the people I, I think you know are God's people in the nation of America really getting spiritual and then I go look at the list of what people are watching on Netflix and I say uh uh-uh. uh <laughs> none of y'all are smiling or laughing so this was the top five on Netflix two weeks ago I was going to share it last week but I didn't preach last week so I got it for you today I'm scared to look what it might be today the number one was Squid Game Squid Game is a a murder series that is based off of playing kids' games in which people get murdered. <laughs> okay? The second most popular one two weeks ago was sex education. The third was clickbait. Y'all figure that one out. The fourth was Lucifer. <laughs> That's, that Lucifer's the devil. That's Satan. There's a series about Satan on Netflix. And some of y'all sitting there going, ooh, I just watched that. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. The fourth one, or the fifth one was Safe House, which that's Denzel Washington. You know, it's, it's lightening up a little bit, but it's still a violent movie. And there was in the top ten a little series called Coco Melon. <laughs> that's about the only one in there that I thought, man, that, that looks like a child's movie or something right there. But I'm still thinking, I wonder what's in it. Because <laughs> children's shows are not what they used to be, if you, unless you're living in, with your head in the sand. Look, I'm not trying to pick on your, your list that you watch. I've watched things that I shouldn't watch. I'm glad that there was a time when I just felt like I couldn't cut it off. You know, I was like, well, you know, I rented this or I paid money to go see this. And, you know, I know they just took the Lord's name in vain. And I know they, somebody just got all their limbs chopped off with an axe. <laughs> I know that it's bad, but, you know, I, I paid my money. And I'm so glad that I learned to just go click and turn it off. You can repent while you're watching it. He said, Brother Tim, you're really getting picky here today. Well, the reason I'm getting picky is because Peter got picky. (laughs) He looked at them and he said, you have crucified the Son of God. I'm not pointing my finger at you and saying, okay, you were there and you were in the crowd and said crucify Him. That that would be very picky, wouldn't it? (laughs) I'm not trying to be picky. And I'm not trying to say, well, you know, look, I'm just asking you to repent. I'm just saying... In order to focus on continuing in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, there's some things we have to let go. He said, Brother Jim, what will I do? If you let some of those things go and the gap 
that is, is there from what you let go, I can assure you that if you're focusing on those four things, you'll have plenty to do. <laughs> plenty to do. They said, what shall we do? He said, repent, be baptized, continue in these things. And I wish I could tell you that the church at Ephesus maintained that, but in the book of Revelation, as Jesus Himself, you think I'm picky, <laughs> Jesus Himself looks at the church at Ephesus and says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You've been one of the most faithful churches that has ever been. He says, but you have left your first love. Boy, that hurts, doesn't it? <laughs> you have left your first love. He said, and you know what He said? Remember, from where you were fallen and repent. Go back and do the first works. That's simple, isn't it? What were the first works? Continuing the apostle doct- apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers, which takes time. By the grace of God, this coming Tuesday, my dear wife and I, my first love. I said, Brother Tim, I thought you dated some other girls. Yeah, I dated some other girls, but that's my first love right there. <laughs> that's my first love. We will celebrate 25 years together. I can't believe it. I was telling the little girls on the way to church this morning, that the, they're young ladies now. I'm sorry, little girls, young ladies. I said, girls, if I'd have known we were going to have such wonderful, beautiful, kind and caring, sweet young ladies uh, like uh, Elizabeth and Lila and, and the others too, I was like, you know, we, I'd probably marry Sister Tracy when I was 15. <laughs> she wouldn't have had me when I was 15, that's for sure. <laughs> but 25 years and... I think to myself, I think of the church at Ephesus. Because if you've been married for any length of time, you know that you get caught up in the, your orbits. Your orbit is not necessarily going around the Son of God. And you get distracted. And you know it's sometimes hard. So what do you do? You repent and you remember. And you do the first works. You woo one another. You pursue one another. You go on a date night. You go. You give flowers to one another. You do the. You know what did you do whenever you first started following the Lord? You continued it. You were excited about the apostles' doctrine, and you enjoyed the fellowship of God's people, and you ate. You broke bread with God's people, and you took communion with God's people, and you prayed for God's people. Go back and do those things. If you ever get lost in a relationship or lost in years of marriage, just go back and do the first works. <laughs> the Lord willing, I'm, I'm closing with a prayer request. Sister Tracy and I are going to be out of town for a couple of days. We're going to go down to a place in Florida and, um, and enjoy some time together. Just a couple of days. And pray to God Madison doesn't have the baby till Wednesday. <laughs> but... Pray for that, please. And she's like, pray I, pray I have it tomorrow. She's ready. But anyway, I don't know how those prayers will cross up. But pray for us as we travel. You know, pray for us as we celebrate. 25 years. Praise God. It's been the best 25 years of my life. Thanks to Sister Tracy. Thanks to the blessing of the Lord. And I think about that in terms of this subject. Think about where you were those years ago when you first came to the church and maybe your children were little. Or think about where you were just a few weeks ago or months ago or or a year or two ago when you came to the church and how excited you were. It was like a first love. It was a first love. And even greater than my 25-year marriage to my first love, we have a first love in heaven. That's Christ. Set Him as the sun around which your little planet orbits. I tell you, child of grace, it'll make all the difference in your life. Now, I hope you haven't gotten too mad at me for getting in on your Netflix list. I hope you're not too mad at me about that. But 
My only goal. My only goal is not to disappoint you and make you have a less of a fun time. My goal is to point you to the ways of life wherein there is fullness of joy. And there's something better than a Netflix list. <laughs> there's something better than any type of entertainment that, God, that, that is out there in the world. There's something better than all of the things that we orbit our lives around. There is Christ Jesus Himself, the man Christ Jesus. And we find Him in the church of God. Save yourself, child of God, by continuing in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers.